evening we begin a brand new series in the Gospels. So if you have a Bible or a mobile device, you can open up to Luke, the seventh chapter, and the eleventh verse. We'll be there in just a minute. One of the questions we want to live in in this series on the Gospel is, what does it mean to live and love like Jesus? What did the disciples see and observe about the life of Jesus? You know, our church is all about discipleship. And our objective is to raise up shepherd leaders, create safe environments where people can ask questions and express their doubts and really come to faith. So my desire for each one of you is to find yourself into community, a small group where you can do life with others. And we post our sermons online on Tuesday afternoon, so you can go to gracetoday.org in case you miss one. I want to uh, um, walk you now into this story in Luke chapter 7, and this will be amplified if you're part of a small group because this is the first, um, first story that we will cover. Soon afterward, it reads in verse 11 of chapter 7, Jesus went to a town called Nain with his disciples, and a large crowd went along with them. As he approached the city gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her, and when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up, and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said, and has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread to all of Judea and the surrounding country. We're asking the question, how do I live and love like Jesus? So let's look at the story and unpack it. First thing I want you to see is that Jesus sees this widow. The town of Nain was about 25 miles from Capernaum. Jesus and his disciples had just been in Capernaum. And the scripture says that soon thereafter, meaning that they've gone somewhere from somewhere. Uh, Jesus and his disciples had taken the 25-mile walk. Now, you may have walked this morning some, but you probably didn't walk 25 miles. So Jesus and his disciples had done this 25-mile journey, and now they arrived in the city of Nain. It's probably approaching evening, because most funerals took place at sunset. The city gate was the entrance into the city, as well as the exit from the city. When Jesus and his disciples come to the city, there's energy and enthusiasm. There's joy and rejoicing. Because over in Capernaum, there was a man, a centurion, and he had a servant who was very, very sick, and he sent word to Jesus asking him to come to his house. But then as Jesus got near, he said, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. You see, this man, the centurion, understood authority. He knew about political power because he was under Caesar of Rome. He knew about military power for he had a hundred men under his charge. He knew about physical strength. He was strong and powerful. And he knew about commanding people, being in a position of command, 
that when he told a soldier to do something, the soldier did exactly what he said. You know, to disobey an order in our military is still a grievous offense. Suppose an officer gave an order to a private, and the private disobeyed. How serious would that be? You see, a lieutenant understands that there's people over top of him, like captains. The captain's given an order to him. And to the captain was given an order from the major. And the major got an order from the colonel. And the colonel got an order from the general. And the general is under the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and they are under the President of the United States. There's, there's great authority. But this centurion, given the fact that he had authority, realized that Jesus had greater authority. So he asked Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus spoke the word, and his servant was made well. So the disciples now come to this town of Nain with great enthusiasm. Contrarywise, there was a woman wearing black at the head of a procession who's barely putting one foot in front of the other. There is no laughter coming out of the city. What they would have seen was professional mourners and flute players and grieving family and friends and weeping, weeping and wailing. And Jesus sees something that moves his heart. What does Jesus see? He sees a funeral procession at the city gate with a dead person being carried out of the city. Now, then they didn't have hearses and cars, little flags that were on your car or lights that were on. Jesus sees a woman, and she is not accompanied by her husband, for she is a widow. And widows were the poorest and most vulnerable people in society. But when her husband passed, she at least had a son. The son was the light of her life, and now her son has died. It is a sad, sad situation, a grief beyond words. Joseph Bailey and his wife, um, Mary Lou, had seven children, and they lost three of them. One of them he lost when he was only five days old, another at five years to leukemia, and another at 18 to an accident. And he writes these words, Of all deaths, that of a child is the most unnatural and hardest to bear. It is a period placed before a sentence, and sometimes the sentence is barely begun. We expect the old to die, but the young life lies ahead with beauty, with its wonder, with its potential. Death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. Here is a young man, perhaps only 12 years old, but now he has succumbed to death, and his mother and others are burying him. So uh, what I want you to notice is that Jesus sees her. And we ask the question, how do we love and live like Jesus? We begin to see people. Our eyes become open to the people around us. We see the soldier with his back, with his, um, with his, what do you call a soldier when he carries his Duffel bag, yes. We see a soldier with his duffel bag, or we see a soldier without his duffel bag. We see a student with his backpack, or the student doesn't have a backpack. We see a mom with her diaper bag loaded to the gills, or a mom at Starbucks without her diaper bag. 
We see the guy on the crutches or the guy who is healthy and well. We see the immigrant at Home Depot or working in the restaurant. We see Mark dealing with Alzheimer's. She was not looking for Jesus. Jesus is quite off of her radar. She is consumed with her own grief, her own loss. She has lost her only son. But Jesus is looking for her, and Jesus sees her. You may feel at this time that you are invisible to God, that God does not pay attention to you and what you're dealing with, that somehow you are forgotten of God, that he doesn't see what you wrestle with, that he doesn't know the pain you deal with, that you are off his radar. You may be 12 years old and feel as if God doesn't see. I remember when I was 12 years old, and apart from the issues of school and athletics, my greatest concern was my locker, that I would forget my locker combination. I spent most of my seventh grade year wondering whether I would remember my locker combination. You may be 15 years old and believe that God doesn't see what you are wrestling with, the world in which you are living, the relationships that you're in. You may be 18 years old and, real, and think that God doesn't see what you struggle with, or 25 and dealing with the pressures of career and family, or 35 dealing with the pressures of career and family. What I'm trying to say is that God sees I don't know if she's feeling angry. Life has dealt her a heavy blow. I don't know if she's feeling overwhelmed, asking, what will I do now? I don't know if she's sinking into despair, asking the question, how will I get by? But we cannot hide it from God or pretend it is not there. What God calls us to is to honesty and vulnerability and reality of what we really are dealing with. And the truth is that God sees, and that God sees her. How do we live and love like Jesus? We begin to see the invisible people all around us with the eyes of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus shows to her compassion. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. How did Jesus live? How did Jesus love? How do we live and love like Jesus? We begin to show compassion to the vulnerable. Jesus' heart went out to her with unmitigated compassion. This is to love somebody from the gut, to love them from the viscera, to love them from the inner core of who we are. It describes an emotion that has a physical effect. It is said of Jesus that when he saw Mary and Martha weeping, that Jesus was deeply moved. Jesus was moved by their pain. Compassion is experienced when we feel tenderness toward somebody's pain. It involves viewing life from someone else's perspective. It means getting inside their shoes to see how they feel. It implies letting your heart become moved. And compassion has two big movements. The first is the internal movement of the heart where we begin to feel the pain of somebody else. 
The second is the intentional effort to meet someone else's need. See, Jesus saw her condition and then began to feel compassion for her. Some of you here are teachers, and you deal with heartbreaking situations in your classroom because your heart is moved with compassion for your students. Some of you here are in the medical field, and you deal with patients with um, severe issues, debilitating diseases, and your heart is moved with compassion for them. Jesus was always looking and seeing and feeling compassion, involving himself with others, ministering to them, helping people in need. And I just want to say there are plenty of people in our world that are unseen, who feel as if they don't matter. They are invisible, as if they don't even have existence, as if their lives don't even count. Jesus himself was a man of compassion. One of the most beloved stories about Jesus has to do with his interaction with Mary and Martha after the death of Lazarus. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. (laughs) Now, we don't have the tone of Martha's voice, her intonation. Did Martha say that with words of resignation? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Or did she say those words with words of reproach? Jesus, if you, had not, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Knowing just a little bit about Martha, I think her words were somewhat accusatory. They had a sting to them. They were brought with a little bit of reproach upon Jesus. Something like, Lord, where have you been? Why didn't you come sooner? Lord, you're late. Can't you hear Martha saying that? Lord, you're late. Lord, we need a word from you. Lord, your beloved was sick, and we waited for you to come. We believed you were coming, and you didn't come. But if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever been disappointed or angry with God? You expected him to show up. You waited for him to come. You prayed earnestly, believing, but it didn't happen according to your plan. Rick and Kay Warren have suffered an unimaginable unimaginable tragedy in the last year. And recently his wife, Kay, posted, Lord, it didn't turn out exactly like I planned. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. She was wrestling with her own disappointments and anger with God. What I find in Jesus is he is letting Martha vent. He is practicing non-defensive listening. Martha is mad as a hornet. Martha is indicting him for being late. But Jesus is not returning fire. Jesus said, Jesus simply lets her express herself. And then, and then Martha, Martha says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. After she feels safe venting on Jesus, letting him know how she really feels, then she seems to catch herself by saying, but even now, even after Lazarus is dead and buried, I know that God your Father will give you whatever you ask. You see, Jesus walked 
in alignment with his father. And what Jesus asked of his father, he gave to him. Martha knows that Jesus can ask of his father confidently. But at this hour, the hour of grief, what do you think Martha believes that Jesus is able to give her? What was she looking to get from Jesus? The best she can hope for, since her brother is now gone, is for Jesus to ask his father for comfort. You know, Father, comfort this grief-stricken family. Give them um, strength to persevere and courage to face their loss. But then Jesus introduces, if you know the story, the game changer. He says, I don't need to ask the Father for comfort. Your brother Lazarus will rise again. Jesus is bringing hope into a hurting family. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. Jesus brings hope into our hopeless situations. Jesus is saying, I know that your brother has died. I know that you've laid him in a grave. I know a stone has been rolled against the entrance. But Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, you know, I believe that he'll rise on the last day. And then Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. What Jesus is saying is that he himself is the resurrection. He has the power of resurrection to us. It is he who is able to raise the dead back to life. You see, he is the resurrection. He is the life. Our hope is built upon Jesus Christ because he is ours and we are his. You see, Jesus was the one who predicted that he would rise again from the dead. He told his disciples that I must go up to Jerusalem and there I must suffer and there I must be crucified, but on the third day I will rise again. And just as he said, Jesus Christ rose up from the dead. They tried to keep him in the grave by rolling a stone up against the entrance, by posting a guard, but Jesus fulfilled his promise and then began to comfort his disciples. He appeared unto Peter and them in the upper room. He appeared unto Thomas who had his doubts. He appeared to over 500 people. You see, Jesus fulfilled his promise. And then his spirit got inside his own disciples and they began to have courage where they were fearful. You see, the power of Jesus began to live inside of them. And Jesus began to transform lives because Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is the life. D.L. Moody who passed away in the late 1800s, he said, one day you will hear about D.L. Moody's death. They will say that D.L. Moody died, but don't believe that story because in that day I will be more alive than I ever have been. D.L. Moody was born in 1837. D.L. Moody was born again in 1855. And that which is born of the flesh will die, but that which is born of the spirit will live forever and ever. You see, D.L. Moody is more alive than he's ever been because he's in the presence of Jesus. Jesus said that I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. The statistics are pretty impressive about death. So it's true that we're all going to die. 
The question becomes, will we live when we die? Or will there simply be dirt above and below? Where is our hope being placed? Jesus, his heart went out to this woman. He felt such deep compassion for her. He said to her, don't cry. Now that's a confusing term in the story, don't cry. Because you would expect that Jesus would sort of let her cry. But this is a cry of a mother whose child has a skinned knee, who says to the child, don't cry. I know there's a little bit of blood, there's going to be a scab, but it's going to be okay. What Jesus is saying is, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then he said, young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus went and touched the coffin, and those carrying the coffin stood still. And I believe there is this silence that was in the room. Life and death stood face to face. You see, Jesus had said, I've come to give you life and the fullest form of life. And the glory of God is when a man is fully alive. But this man was not fully alive. This man was fully dead. But Jesus' command to him was, young man, I say to you, get up. Now, often when Jesus did miracles, he would ask the person to do something like, go to the pool and wash, or pick up your mat. But when he raised the dead, he used only his word. Jesus spoke into the boy's deadness, and the boy heard him. The young man who was fully dead became fully alive by the word of Jesus Christ. He heard the voice of God, and he came back to life. And color returned to his face, His eyes opened, he saw the sky that was blue, and he sat up and he began to talk. What did he say? What would you say? You know, where am I? What just happened? Um, Why are they carrying me in this coffin? This is what I say when someone wakes me up. Was I sleeping? Jesus took authority over death. He commanded the young man to awaken. The man with no life, Jesus says, I'm giving back to you your life. This is the message of the gospel. In the gospel, there is life. The news of the gospel is that God has come down from heaven to rescue us, to restore us. We have made a mess out of life, and we find ourselves in a mess, and Jesus stepped into that mess. He did not come to judge us. He did not come to condemn us. He came to restore us. He came to give us back our original condition of a relationship with God. We were made to have life to the fullest. We were made to enjoy life and the life he gave us. We were made to drink deeply and savor much. I have a friend of mine, and when I ask him how he's doing, he will say to me, I'm either up or I'm getting up. I say, how are you doing? He says, I'm either up or I'm getting up. My friend has been knocked down a few times in life. Life has not been very easy for my friend. He's taken his share of hits. He knows what it's like to be knocked down. (laughs) You know, it's okay to get knocked down. It's just not okay to stay down. Jesus is the friend of the person who is down. He says to the young man, young man, I say to you, get up. 
Jesus is the best friend you could ever have when you're down because he'll always invite you to get up. He comes to where you are and he speaks into your condition and he says, young man, I say to you, get up. Young woman, I say to you, get up. Young mother, I say to you, get up. Young father, I say to you, get up. You don't have to stay down. Staying down is a choice, but getting up is also a choice. You see, when I heard the gospel for the first time, it was like a dead man receiving life. It was a person who was spiritually dead that God was infusing life into. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. I know you are down. I know you are dead. I know you are hopeless. I know you can't fix yourself. I know you are messed up, but know this, that I love you. Young man, I say to you, get up. Get up, young man, get up. Get up, woman, get up. And the young man sat up and began to talk. (laughs) Can you imagine what it was like, the saddest scene ever, now to the happiest scene ever, that he awakens to the very face of Jesus? I've actually said this to people when they're facing a surgery, that either you, will, either you will awaken to the face of them who love you, or you'll awaken to the face of Jesus. And Jesus gives him back to his mother. Jesus has the power to restore whatever is broken. And if you are broken, God has the power to restore you. If your health is broken, God has the power to restore your broken health. If your relationships are broken, God has the power to restore broken relationships. There are so many reasons to love Jesus. But here is a really sweet moment. He gives the woman back her son. They were parted because the son had departed. But now he gives the son back to his mama. When God restores somebody, he gives them back. A person can be dead to their mother or to their father, but when Jesus makes them whole, he gives them back. You see, Jesus loves to restore whatever is broken. That's why that God deserves some praise. In the story we find in verse 16 that they all were filled with all and they praised God. All is something that is often missing in our lives. All is like it's so good, I don't even have words to describe it. All is something that we experience, but we can't quite describe it. All is like when a child is being born, and there's a sense of all in the room, of God is doing something amazing. All is like when we see a bald eagle in nature. All is like a sport, watching someone play a sport, not like the Redskins, but someone playing a sport, playing the sport really well. You see, all is this sense of awesome, like Jesus was doing something awesome, and the people were filled with awe, and they began to praise God. And everything that's awesome has its roots in God's power. God gives the eagles the wings to fly. And God knits the baby together inside the mother's womb. 
And God gives the ability to that athlete to play their sport. You see, when we experience awe, we say that God himself is awesome. They couldn't have helped themselves. They couldn't have saved themselves. He couldn't have brought himself back. And that's why I believe that God deserves some praise this morning. For there is none likened unto our God who heals us of our diseases, who forgives us of our sins, who crowns our life with love and compassion, who lifts the poor out of poverty, who gives mercy to the woman, who makes the dead come back alive. Jesus is awesome. Jesus deserves our praise. Let's give God some praise this morning because he restores what's broken. Who can compare our God to anything? Who is likened unto our God? And they said, a great prophet has appeared. A great prophet has appeared. You see, it had been a long time since there had been a prophet. Elijah had come to that town, and there was a woman, and she had a son. And Elijah had prayed, and the life of the son came back into him, and he gave the son back to his mother. You see, the prophet had come 700 years before. But now, one greater than a prophet has come. His name is Jesus. Jesus had come to help his people. That's why God comes. He comes to help his people. Remember that God is always for you. God is always working for you. We cannot help ourselves, so he comes to help us in our helplessness. A great prophet has appeared. God has come to help his people. So let me try to answer the question now of how do we live and love like Jesus from this story. First, I see the invisible people around me with the eyes of Jesus Christ. And this is a prayer. God, give me eyes to see with your eyes the people that are around me, the people that I live with, the people that I work with, the people that I'm doing life with in small group. Lord, help me to see them with your eyes. Secondly, ask God for compassion, especially when it is costly and is inconvenient for us. You know, Jesus purposed to find this woman. He came to her town. He came to her city gate. She wasn't looking for compassion, but Jesus gave her compassion because there was compassion in his heart. Third, allow the life of Jesus to flow into me, to make me fully alive. This morning, you may have been carrying really heavy responsibilities and feel deadened by them. You may have been living in a very severe trial and feel deadened by that trial. I want to tell you that Jesus has the power to pour his life into your life and to enable you to come alive. Fourth, to give praise to God for giving us back our life, for making us whole. When Jesus makes us whole, it deserves praise. See, praise is thanking God for who he is. Thanksgiving is thanking God for what he has done. Now, you may be passing through those deep waters now, and you wonder whether those waters will drown you. 
There's a promise that Isaiah said that when we walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm us. When we walk through the fire, that God will be with us. Here's a promise that will hold us, that God is with us, that God is for us, that God will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he'll never abandon us, that our God is fighting for us. My God is with me, and I want to have the faith to believe that God is with me, that God is on my side, that God is working out his plans, that God will give me strength, that God is my refuge, that God is my God. Would you pray with me? Father, we're just beginning a series in the Gospels, and we're asking you, Lord, to unveil yourself to us, to remove the uh, scales from our eyes, that we can begin to see and understand the Gospel and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of his name, and the power of his word. And where our hearts have become hardened, Lord, would you give us a tenderness? Where our eyes have become blinded, would you give us eyes to see? And when we're really grappling, struggling, would you give us faith to believe? Father, my prayer is that you might give to us a measure of faith to believe what you have said is true and that your power is amazing. And what is broken in my life, what is broken in all of our lives, God, would you begin your mending and restoring? Would you give us faith to believe that we're not forsaken, we're not forgotten, that, God, you are mindful of us, that you see us, and you have the power to help us. You deeply care about each one of us. Father, would you give us faith to believe? We ask in Jesus' name.